Greetings and welcome back. Welcome back to the Psychopharmacology Supplemental Podcast. I am Dr. Derek Sweet. This is a supplemental podcast that I put out for the students of the class that we teach here at Columbia University, a class in psychopharmacology, clinical psychopharmacology. You've probably already heard some podcasts previous podcasts on anti-anxiety medications, antidepressant medications, and pharmacokinetics as well as pharmacodynamics. Today, I wanted to spend a few minutes supplementing a wonderful lecture our students gave on antipsychotics. This is not by any means a comprehensive lecture or podcast. It's just merely meant to supplement and highlight some thoughts that I had after listening to the incredible lecture that was given on antipsychotic medications. Before we even jump into it, I just want to remind everybody that the word psychosis is used to describe a condition that affects the mind, where uh, someone has a loss of contact with reality. So when we say psychosis or, or somebody becomes ill in this way, we call this a psychotic episode. And during the psychotic episode, what happens is, is that a person's thoughts and their perceptions become disturbed. And they may have difficulty perceiving or understanding what's real and what's not. And anyone can become psychotic for any given reason at any time. It often begins when a person is in their late teens or mid-twenties. Uh, and there are several hundred thousand new cases of psychosis every year. And what does that look like, psychosis? Before I jump right into the meds, let me just review what was mentioned in class. Sudden drop in a grade or job performance could be an indication. Trouble thinking clearly or having concentration difficulties, having having suspiciousness or paranoid ideas or just becoming really super uneasy being around others could be a potential sign. Withdrawing socially quite is often missed and that can happen for quite some time. Somebody begins to slowly withdraw and spend more time alone than usual. More overt signs of psychosis would be when someone has an unusual idea, idea or they're overly intense with their ideas or they have these strange feelings. Uh, or no feelings at all. They become apathetic. Another one that, that, that makes sense is when people have a decline in their self-care or their personal hygiene. That's fairly obvious when we look at individuals whose ADLs uh, have gone down. Or people have difficulty telling reality from fantasy. And when you're talking to them, you don't understand what's going on. And at the Worst case scenarios when people have word salad or confused speech. So the symptoms of psychosis could include things like delusions, which are fixed false beliefs, or hallucinations, which are essentially seeing or hearing things that others don't see or hear. So you can be delusional or hallucinating. Uh, I mentioned that other symptoms include like incoherent incoherence of speech or behavior or inappropriate behavior for a situation. And the social withdrawal I mentioned could be accompanied by sleep problems, for example, lack of motivation, 
or just a decline in functioning overall. So when you're looking at psychosis, you're looking for a shift in this person's behavior that is either happening slowly or rapidly and it's not their baseline and it's significant and obvious. What causes psychosis? Well, I don't think anybody really knows. It's a symptom of mental illness. Uh, We see it in conditions such as schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, but people don't have to experience psychosis through a mental health disorder. There are other causes for psychosis, as was mentioned in our lecture, such as sleep deprivation, or sometimes a general medical condition can cause psychosis. There are certain prescription drugs that also can create uh, a detachment from reality or psychosis. Certainly anybody who's misusing alcohol or drugs such as weed uh, would qualify, uh, could essentially become psychotic. So before a psychiatrist or a clinician diagnoses somebody with a psychotic disorder like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, we tend to want to rule out other things like are they sleeping okay? Uh, are they do they have a medical illness that could be causing this? Maybe one of the prescription drugs they're taking is causing this. Are they drinking or using uh, other drugs? Right. Uh, so those are some of the things that you'd want to rule out before you say somebody has uh, schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder or any of the other kinds of disorders that would include. Uh, psychosis. So that's my big rapid introduction into talking about the antidepressants that we discussed in class because how do you treat psychosis is a really, really important thing. And in addition to group therapy and family support and education and uh, case management, medications, something called pharmacotherapy, can help reduce the psychosis symptoms and figuring out which medication to help reduce psychosis or psychotic symptoms is a big part of the work that many clinicians do in this field. And what I wanted to draw your attention to is that, uh, like in the class, we, we make a distinction between the different kinds of antipsychotics and we spend time, we spend time on the risks and the benefits. And it's really important that we do spend time on risks and benefits because these drugs, while they can be quite effective, they should not be taken lightly because they do have significant side effects, many of them, that really need to be addressed and we should be paying attention to. So in the class, we spoke about two types of antipsychotic drugs, the typical and the atypical, right? And the typical uh, antipsychotics are the very first ones that were discovered and they uh, act on the dopamine receptors in the brain. You might remember from a previous podcast, we talked about the importance of dopamine in the brain and its relation to movement, psychosis, and other conditions. The typical antipsychotics, as opposed to the atypical antipsychotics, work primarily on dopamine and literally attempts to regulate dopamine in the brain to help reduce the symptoms of psychosis. The atypical antipsychotics are second generation antipsychotics and they work on two different receptors in the brain as opposed to the typical antipsychotics. The atypicals work on dopamine and serotonin. So, and the thing about the atypicals is that 
they have some antidepressant effects much more than the typical antipsychotics. So does that make sense? Typical antipsychotics versus atypical. The typical antipsychotics are called first-generation antipsychotics. The second uh, generation antipsychotics are called atypical. And the second and the second generation antipsychotics, the atypical antipsychotics, are the ones that have some antidepressant effects. Now, the main advantage of the atypical antipsychotics, as opposed to the typical antipsychotics, is that they also have fewer or less side effects. And speaking of side effects, this is something that was really well delineated in our class. We spoke about what are some of the effects of the typical antipsychotics versus the atypical antipsychotics. Remember, we're calling the the typical antipsychotics first generation and we're calling the atypical antipsychotics second generation. So keep those two buckets in your mind as we, we wrestle with these things. What are the side effects that we really need to be concerned about? Well, there are a number of them that antipsychotic medications just impose on anybody who takes them. And one of the big ones is some uncontrolled muscle contractions that can cause these repetitive movements and, and these really abnormal postures. And those... Uh, kinds of muscle contractions and repetitive movements are called dystonia, D-Y-S-T-O-N-I-A, dystonia. Uh, Uncontrolled muscle contractions can sometimes come up with the typical or first-generation antipsychotics. In fact, it's a pretty severe issue. Another kind of symptom that we see is this kind of restlessness that comes with the typical and sometimes the atypical antipsychotics, and that's called akathisia where there's this constant movement, very irritating, very difficult to deal with. Parkinsonism is a third uh, side effect. It's, It's a disorder that causes tremors and slow movements and rigidity, and that's often a feature of typical antipsychotic medications or first generation antipsychotic medications, not so much with the atypical. And in fact, that's why the atypical antipsychotics are often chosen to be used more so than the typical antipsychotics because of this fear of dystonia, akathisia, or like I just described, Parkinsonism. Uh, One of the more dangerous and more lasting conditions, uh, chronic conditions, uh, with repetitive muscle movements in the face, neck, and arms, and even the legs is something called tardive dyskinesia. That's sort of like the worst case scenario, right, for being on typical antipsychotics for a long time. And you'll see these um, facial movements and and repetitive muscle movements in the neck and the arms and, and the legs. And so that's another symptom, not to be confused with uh, tardive akathisia, which is more of a delayed start of the the akathisia after starting the antipsychotics. So dystonia, akathisia, Parkinsonism, tardive dyskinesia uh, are, are some of the big dogs, the big side effects that we see and we should be looking for. And many clinicians do look for this. And there are these rating scales that clinicians are constantly looking to see whether or not the person has developed EPS or extrapyramidal symptoms. And so I just listed the extrapyramidal symptoms or the EPS symptoms for you, the tardive dyskinesia, Parkinsonism, akathisia, dystonia. Uh, Those are the things that you have to be concerned about if you're going to be on a first-generation antipsychotic. And as I said, they don't usually use these so much, right? 
So uh, the atypical or the second generation antipsychotics don't really have as much tardive dyskinesia. They don't have as many EPS symptoms uh, as the typical or first generation antipsychotics, but they do create something called metabolic syndrome with weight gain, uh, high cholesterol, and a lot of the diabetic uh, profile symptoms, which aren't things to be really too comfortable with, right? So that even though you're not going to get the stiffness, the rigidity, the repetitive movements, the EPS symptoms that you would get from a typical antipsychotic, when you choose the quote-unquote less dangerous antipsychotic, meaning an atypical antipsychotic, you can literally be inviting in metabolic syndrome, which can really create some risk. So we're not of the woods with either or, right? The typicals, yes, they have a lot of movement disorder kinds of symptoms and the atypicals have a lot of metabolic symptoms that really do need to be addressed. Some of the typical antipsychotics that we talked about included Haldol or Haloperidol, Loxapine, Profenazine, uh, Prochlorprazine, I believe was mentioned, and I and thiophyxine, I believe, was mentioned. And of course, some of the atypical antipsychotics, which many people know, like Abilify, uh, Clozeril, uh, Latuda, Zyprexa, Seroquel, Risperidol, Geodon, are the atypical antipsychotics. And, and always keep in mind that when we say atypical, that does not mean that we're out of the woods with side effects. So... The FDA has approved antipsychotics for all kinds of psychiatric conditions. And uh, in terms of psychosis, the delusional disorders uh, and, and, and disorders of bipolar disorders can, uh, and many of OCD, uh, can, uh, Tourette syndrome, uh, they can uh, all be treated. Huntington's disease, Huntington's disease, schizophrenia. I'm just rattling off diseases. Uh, even substance-induced psychosis or psychotic disorders can be treated with antipsychotics. So knowing which one to choose is what doctors go through and trying to figure out uh, how to treat someone who has a psychosis and then what are the parameters uh that a doctor has to look at is what the bane of psychiatric treatment of psychosis involves. So that's a whole lot. I hope you grasped that psychosis is indeed not its own diagnosis, but it's accompanied by other conditions that create the psychosis. And I think we did a pretty quick job here of just differentiating, I should say, between typical psychosis, typical antipsychotics, and atypical antipsychotics, and understanding that typical antipsychotics tend to have more severe side effects, but that atypical or second-generation antipsychotics do tend to have side effects as well that can be fairly serious as well. So before I end, I'd like to just spend a minute just talking a little bit more about the atypical antipsychotics because they really have have been used quite a bit. And uh, one of the things that uh, I think happens is uh, with older adults, it's really important to understand that it's not just good enough to say, hey, this person might have dementia or they may have some psychotic spectrum illness and I'm going to put them on an an atypical antipsychotic because there are 
there are ramifications for that. And lots of studies are showing that these quote-unquote safe atypicals are not so safe, especially with the elderly, especially with older adults who have cognitive conditions like dementia, uh, who are in nursing homes and who are at risk for falls. So medications like a first-generation antipsychotic may actually induce motor disorders for them and an atypical could even create more weight gain and and increase their diabetic profile. So it's super important to not just reflexively give older adults antipsychotics without really thinking through what might be some of the the fallout for them uh, as a result of being on this medication. And in fact, many of the research studies have shown that there's been little or no real serious health benefit to giving the atypical antipsychotic uh, to older individuals and in fact may be more dangerous for them and that often the side effects outweigh the health benefits of being prescribed an antipsychotic especially for older individuals so it's important that we if we have loved ones who are older and I know that older folks deal with many, many uh, conditions that require uh, uh, the, the use of an antipsychotic, but we have to be really careful because what happens is that they can really be hurt by these medications, not only uh, from a motoric and um, musculoskeletal perspective, Uh, but also from a metabolic perspective. So uh, it's super important that we actually uh, try to figure out non-pharmacologic ways in which we can assist those who are older to not be put on antipsychotic medications. There are no FDA-approved treatments for psychosis uh, associated with dementia, for for example, and... uh, Psychosocial interventions have been effectively used anecdotally to treat middle-aged or older patients with psychosis. Sometimes we have to use that in combination with medication. So my message is, yes, in severe cases where we do need to intervene and somebody's at risk for hurting themselves, yeah, let's go ahead with prescribing the antipsychotic if it's an older individual. Uh, usually an atypical one, but if there's a way we could use a psychosocial intervention for their behavioral disturbances, especially those behavioral disturbances that are associated with dementia in an older adult, let's think of things like one-to-one social interactions, support groups. Let's think about simulating a family presence around that person. Let's include music therapy and dance therapy. Let's include uh, aromatherapy, if they're afraid of showering, let's think about bed baths or person-centered bathing. Let's include muscle relaxation therapy. These sound like soft interventions and we, do, um, we, we really like to just give Risperidol, I know really quickly in my field, but these uh, psychosocial interventions are 
very important to try because they have much less side effect profile and may get you to the place of helping that individual be healthy. So this is Dr. Sweet. I know we went a bit over today, but I just wanted to help supplement the wonderful lecture that we heard on antipsychotic medications and give you some perspective uh, on the first generation versus the second generation antipsychotics and in older individuals, how circumspect we need to be in thinking about putting anyone who is older, even if they have dementia, even if they have psychosis secondary to a underlying condition, we have to be super careful about imposing on them the side effects that come along with being placed on an antipsychotic. Again, I'm not against the use of the antipsychotic, but I'm saying in older individuals, extreme caution must be used. I am Dr. Sweet. I'm hoping that you got through all of this with me and looking forward to seeing you on our next supplemental podcast. Thank you for your time and your listening. Bye-bye.